This morning I want to walk through the first four of the Ten Commandments. When most of our lives, our interaction with God is through prayer, right? But we keep going back to the Scripture to tune our perception of things and how we do things because it holds uh, words of life for us. And others through the centuries have recorded their interactions with God. And there is a, an anointing on that that speaks life to us. The truth is, when, when we're in this mode of prayer or, or thought and trying to figure things out, it's easy to talk ourselves into almost anything. Um, there's a tendency for us in our flesh to, to justify things that, that we wouldn't ordinarily justify or shouldn't justify, put it that way. When I was bow hunting regularly in Illinois, I used to get up and I'd try to be in the stand an hour before sunlight so that I was, everything was ready, so to speak. On full moon nights, when there's snow on the ground, you can see animals very clearly long before sunup. And the temptation was, just plink one now, you know. And, you know, I could, I could wrestle it through in my mind saying, it'll be a kill shot, it'll be that. It was wrong. And there were times when <laughs> I'm just looking at it going, why, 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 why? And uh, in the, that conversation with myself, one of the things that would um, keep me from doing that was that um, it isn't particularly good as a pastor to, to have that known in the community that you poach animals. Uh, you know, it's, th there was a fear attached to that. And in, in these commandments... There is a fear attachment with some of it. Um, when, when God gave them, he, he gave a powerful display on the mountain, and then he gave his word and, and scared the dickens out of them. But at the same time, there's this health for us both in both responses, this response of love that says, you are so amazing in my life, I, I want to do everything I can to please you, or the other side that says, I don't want you to punish me. You know, isn't it true with you young parents that when your kid suddenly discovers that they can have the power with a pen or a pencil or a crayon or a magic marker to, to, to put something down that you can see that they created, there's an awe that comes into their life and a tendency to mark everything they find. You know, so the walls become their place for artistry. And at some point, you're going, this is unacceptable, right? I hope you're doing that. The years later, they're going to be looking at it and saying, I, I know you told me I did this, but I, that's just, it's hard to believe. Why, why would people do that? Why would, well, you weren't thinking straight. You had this joy of creativity. There are times when being told no, you'll understand this later, is a good thing. Some of our interaction with Scripture is just that way. 
You're told, this is the way it is. This is the way you're to respond. Get used to it. And there's something inside of us that, but I have a really good plan here. Get your first knife. Carve the initials in the door. I mean, it's an awesome thing, right? Till dad has you sand them out. And then it's miserable. But years later, you'll be going, ah, I don't do that in my house anymore. You know, it's that growing up, so to speak. And what we have in Scripture is a clarity that brings things out in ways that help us understand whether we really get it or not initially. And so sometimes we'll respond, oh, that makes all the sense in the world. Other times we're going, okay, I guess I'll do that, even though it's not my desire. When we walk through these commands, there are certain parts of this that are just astounding to me, and yet, you know, it's, he's laying out and saying, these are minimum standards of how I want you to behave. And even though you and I live in a new covenant, and even though there's variations of how we view these things now, there's still a beauty to them to go back and say, okay, what do I need to gather out of this? So he tells the people, I brought you out of Egypt. I brought you out of slavery. You're not to have any other gods before me. You're to, you're to worship me only. That's that first one. He just lays it out and says, I'm the only one. That is so much a part of our thinking and our culture, even though we may not give it credit, that it's, it's hard to come to terms with in the sense that when we talk about order in our universe and we talk about system and and we move into things like purpose and reason and truth. All of that is based on this idea that there is one creator who made everything and has an order and specific system as to how he does things. And so for us now, when we're looking at it and say, okay, one God, yeah, I got that. Well, that isn't necessarily the case for everyone. But if you start looking for a God in everything, in every place, in every situation, you realize how chaotic that gets? And system and order kind of just disappear. And even the ability to discern truth is, is left empty because it's, well, like, whose truth are you talking about? What truth today? What, you know, we're so, it's so much a core part of our thinking, and the sciences are built on that, whether they acknowledge him or not. This one God, he just says, I'm the one. I made it. Deserve your worship. And so he just lays it out and says, I'm not going to have a batch. I'm not going to you know, chase it. This is it. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. I've established you with me. And so let's move on together. He goes on to the second one and says, no idols. I don't want anything like graven images. I don't want anything looking like the sky or the earth. And for us, again, that's one of those things that there are regions of the world that have idol worship that is intense and complex, and we're not so much about that. But there still is a beauty in this understanding. He says, I don't want a middleman, so to speak. I don't want something in between. And he just lays it out and says, your worship is to me. It's focused. 
the Old Testament, they obviously wrestled with it. You see in the book of Habakkuk that, uh, you know, he's, the, the guy's, he's talking and just saying, what is this? You, you make something and then it's supposed to have life and, then, and then, then you worship it? That doesn't make sense. Book of Isaiah, chapter 44, similar idea. You know, just saying, you know, they craft it, they make it, and then they worship it. What, you know, then they, they cook their meal off a part of the wood that's left. He said, it doesn't make any sense. In Colossians, the New Testament starts to move that into even things that go beyond physical realities or physical substances which I think is the core of idolatry because it's, in a sense, saying the unseen world, I, I don't get that, but this is something I can see. And, and people trying to live just in that. But Paul takes it and he says even greed is a form of idolatry. And, you know, later he talks about people saying their God is their stomach. You know, it's, you know, whatever they, the, the pleasure of eating, the joy of all of that, it's all so important to them, it becomes their God. And so he, he's moving that beyond just physical symbols and other things. But I was, I was chewing on something this week, and um, in the Garden of Eden, it says, Adam and Eve were naked and knew no shame. And the, that whole thought of absolute vulnerability before God and nothing blocking, that's a little unsettling, right? And yet, it's a beautiful thing if that vulnerability really has full access to God, that he sees me exactly as I am and, and knows every intimate detail, but he, he chooses to, to have fellowship. It's a powerful idea. I mean, isn't it true that we associate shame? And we often walk into the presence of God carrying our shame with us. And yet he created us to, to be able to be completely vulnerable and yet have fellowship with him. Yeah, you have too much time on your hands. I'll take this for Even in, in the New Testament, they're all struggling over wearing the right clothes and tassels and, you know, getting, getting the system down. And it's like, prepare yourself so that you can meet God. And get, you know, and, and truly, I believe that in, in honor to God, you ought to wear nice clothes. I'd, I'll leave it at that. But... At the same time, God, he made clothes for him later. He could have made them with clothes, right? But it wasn't a big deal to him. And, you know, that the idol is like that middleman. Maybe this will get me to some, some kind of peace of God, or God, you know. He just, there was nothing in between. Approaching God without pretense or shame. Vulnerable without fear. That's, what, that's how he created us. 
And when he's coming to these folks and he's laying out these commands, he said, I'm going to be with you. I want to travel with you. So again, he's, he's saying, I want to interact with you. I want to have this relationship. And, and so that's what our faith is built in. And so even now when we have these basic core things of saying, no idols, you have opportunity to worship in complete vulnerability without fear and shame because that's how he created you. What an amazing, amazing thing. But it's one of the cores for us. The next uh, uh, command, don't misuse the Lord's name. I see this as being a thing of respect. Um, When you take your kids to meet a teacher, you go, this is Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. so-and-so, right? Because you want them to honor that person. Um, When you talk about the governor, you talk about Governor Snyder. You don't talk about Rick, right? Or Governor Rick. There's a, a certain honor to the office, even if you don't like them. Politically, you, you, there's an honor given. President Obama, we do the same thing. In, in relationship to God, we always acknowledge that he is sovereign, that he's the one that is the ruler and leader of all things. And so when it comes to misusing his name, there's, there's two opportunities to take this in a foul direction, Right? It said, familiarity breeds contempt, using his name in every setting, in every situation, and just kind of um, making it nothing. One of the worries I have with our worship at times, for me personally, is that if I'm not engaging, but I'm singing the words, what am I doing? It's just becoming meaningless babble. And there's a, a, a worry in my heart that I am calling out the name of God for no purpose. Because that's, that's one side of it. The other side, like Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So regularly out of our mouths comes a profanity that's buried deep, but also it's, it's kind of in that core of unbelief or rooted in anger at him. And it, if it comes out as swearing, then, you know, we're kind of going, okay, but that's, what does that say about our actual belief in God and who he is? And so both extremes are things to be aware of and to just say, I, I need to be careful how I approach this. In other words, if I'm going to pursue excellence in the Lord, then I, then I pursue excellence even in how I use his name. I told you my experience of... Uh, a few weeks ago when we're listening to a book on tape and suddenly it is so odious to me that I end up shutting it off just because the, the cursing is abundant and, I, and I'm going, why am I putting up with this? Good storyline, but not worth it. Now, some of you work in environments where there's cursing all day long and truth is, it gets in your head after a while, right? And it's very difficult not to swear. But I encourage you, fight the good fight. Keep up in the battle. 
Ask God for a grace even in that setting. You, you don't want to just let this go, but you always want to honor him and respect him. Even the New Testament, when it, the term father is, is given, we're given more opportunity to use it, so to speak, through Jesus. He, you know, you read the Old Testament, you don't see father as common when Jesus said, pray, our father, but it's holy father. Yeah, and there's a recognition of respect even in that declaration. So even though we're allowed intimacy with him, even though we're allowed this open, wonderful openness, we still honor and respect him as being the magnificent being that he is. Finally, um, let's, let's look at the fourth one. Uh, Sabbath, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy is the way I learned it, but there's the, each translation works on that. But there's two main concepts to just pull out of that. One, it was the day of rest. And it's amazing, even in setting them up for this command in the wilderness, God had provided manna. You read Exodus 16, he had provided manna. And they were to, on on the sixth day, they were to gather two days' worth because it wasn't going to be provided on the seventh. In other words, they weren't supposed to go looking for food. It was already there. So this beautiful setup is given to them to say, well, God rested on the seventh day of creation, so I'm giving you this opportunity to rest now. And that's what they were, that was what was developed in their lives. And so that idea of rest, you know, in our days, a whole different thing. And in Colossians, Paul, you know, addresses this and he says, you know, don't let anybody judge you by your new moon or your festivals or your Sabbaths. And so he's saying there's something different, and, and what we have embraced, again, in Sunday worship is the resurrection day and, and first day of the week worship that was common in the New Testament church. But I don't think we escape this idea that regular rest in our lives is appropriate. Now, when I was a kid, I remember my dad insisting that we have a Sunday afternoon nap. Now, obviously, he wanted one. And for a kid, you're laying there twitching, just angry. And eventually, they tell you you can get up, you know, and if you make enough noise, and they, you know, it just... But obviously, I didn't need as much rest as what they did. But looking at it seriously, do you trust God enough to back off a little bit now and then? Do you trust Him enough with your goals and your projects and your commitments to just stop? The other other question that comes out of this is, do you actually have holy time? I mean, in some ways, we've made Sunday the family day, right? And there's an appropriateness to that in that, you know, if if you are away from each other, working all week, and, and see very little of each other, and you have this window of time, it's important to be together. But it doesn't take the same reference as a holy day unto God, right? And in the same way, you know, when we're looking at that and you're sorting it out, um, it's even work-wise, are, are, 
days are different. And, and so some people have to be working every Sunday and Sabbath or whatever day you want to choose. You don't have that option. But there's still a responsibility that says, I need to spend some time with God. I need to hone in on this thing and allow my heart to be touched by him. I need to back off enough from the surrounding sounds to listen for his voice. And I'd encourage you out of that to just take this and just say, you know, if I'm pursuing you in excellence, and that's my heart desire, am I taking adequate time to hear his voice? Am I backing off enough from the other things to just just listen and hear him? You know, we at times make entertainment our God or, or, you know, chasing different things, and yet a holy day is not quite the same as those things. So I just encourage you to chase that together with me. So these were four um, rules that he just laid down and said, follow these. And we go back and we look at it and say, This is a good structure to to walk my thinking through at times and just say, am I responding to him? Am I treating him as the only God, so to speak? Am I truly appreciative of my creator? I mean, in our scripture, we've got, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's, It's locked into our thinking. But to appreciate the order and system and and the opportunity of knowing truth... Powerful, powerful thing. And then the openness of saying, no, it's not about finding a God. It's knowing the God. And to treat his name with reverence and honor all times. And finally, to take the time necessary to get to know him, respond to him. Father, we thank you for these commands that lay things out so simply and yet are applicable applicable even now. Speak to our hearts as your desires are for us. Reveal to us the truths that you have for us in them. Amen. So grateful for this worship team and others who lead us into the presence of the Lord week after week. Children's ministry downstairs and You know, for some, this becomes a work day. And uh, we acknowledge that. And yet, I encourage you in the Lord, find where that balance is. It's like Charlie was saying, there is a conscience opportunity to make a decision and to say, this is what God desires of my heart in this moment. The privilege is, is that we have this opportunity to hear from the Lord.